crime on the rise. A wife and daughter violently assaulted. Incompetent police. A wronged everyday man taking matters into his own hands. All this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Death Wish on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro vs. Remake, Remake, where we discuss films and their remakes. Join us as we explore the question, should this remake exist? Today's film is Death Wish. The original Death Wish, 1974, starring Charles Bronson, Hope Lang, Vincent Gardenia, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Guest, and Stephen Keats. Directed by Michael Winner. Screenplay by Wendell Mays. Music by Herbie Hancock. Death Wish 2018, starring Bruce Willis, Elizabeth Shue, Vincent D'Onofrio, Dean Norris, Kimberly Elise, and Bo Knapp. Directed by Eli Roth. Screenplay by Joe Carnahan. Music by Ludwig Goranson. The original is loosely based on the 1972 novel of the same name by Brian Garfield. And I guess before we get into our first experiences, I just wanted to note the cast here. The original has Vincent Gardenia and Christopher Guest, who were both in the remake of Little Shop of Horrors, which we last did. And the remake has Kimberly Elise, who you might remember from the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. She was the FBI girl that uh, sort of dated Denzel there. I just thought it was pretty interesting that we have three alumni from previous episodes. Anyways, Reggie, what is your first experience with either film? First experience with either film is for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Same. Like, I know Charles Bronson, and I knew he was a big action star, but I really haven't watched a lot of his work, so this was um, this was my introduction. Yeah. I had known about the Death Wish franchise. Like, I think they had a Death Wish movie on, like, every weekend on Channel 11 when I was growing up. It was, you know, there's, like, 50 of these Death Wish movies. I knew that. I just had never seen them. I knew who Charles Bronson was kind of through The Simpsons. They did a lot of Charles Bronson references. <laughs> but this is the first time I've actually seen him act. And I didn't even know the remake existed until I looked up a list of remakes for this series. So, yep. I was familiar with the remake's existence. We'll definitely talk more about that throughout the episode. Well, there are... Fairly similar films, but before we get into a comparison, let's go over the synopsis. Crime is on the rise. Police are doing what they can, but it's not enough. We are introduced to Paul Kersey and his family. They're a loving family and are well off financially. Their wealth does not go unnoticed. One day when Paul is at work, his wife and daughter are violently assaulted by criminals in their home. The daughter is wounded pretty bad, and the wife is murdered. The police investigate, but they aren't sure they will find the ones responsible. That's not good enough for Paul Kersey. He decides to take matters into his own hands. His plan? Go out on the streets at night and fight crime, despite the fact that he is just an ordinary man. The result? Criminals are violently killed as Kersey acts as judge, jury, and executioner. He is able to kill criminals without getting caught or even identified. He's simply an unknown vigilante. The police now focus on finding this vigilante. The news is spreading and everyone learns about Kersey's actions. 
Curzon continues to kill criminals. Eventually, the police get close on Curzon's trail, and depending on the film, Curzon stops being the vigilante for various reasons. Both films end with Curzon in a new city, with his sights on new criminals. I did like the way uh, both movies ended with sort of the pantomiming the gunshot. I thought that was cool. Anyway, those are the films. Where should we start, Reggie? The best place to start, because these films, really, these are action movies, and every action movie has an action hero. And the best place to start is to talk about Paul Kersey. The original 1974 movie starring Charles Bronson. What's your take on Bronson as a leading man, Dan? Well, Reggie, um, I had never seen him in any film before, and I, I suppose as an action star, he's okay. As an actor, kind of flat. He uh, definitely didn't know how to show the grieving process, I suppose, when his family was attacked. I did find myself laughing a little bit <laughs> at the way he... I don't think uh, men grieved in the 70s. <laughs> That's true. So maybe he was appropriate of the times. I guess he's okay. I didn't really notice anything other than the fact that, Jesus Christ, he's ripped. Like, he has his shirt off in a couple scenes, and you're like, this dude's 50? What do I gotta do to look that good at, at like... Not even 50. Like, how do I look that good now? It's like, Jesus. <laughs> he has definitely the physique of an action star. Acting's a little flat, but I guess I guess he was okay <laughs> overall. I, I agree that from like an emotional standpoint, there's not a lot to cling on with him. And uh, yeah, I would say flat sort of emphasizes that character throughout the film. While all the, like you said, when the family dies, he doesn't really hold his grief well as he's getting into his sort of vigilante adventure. I don't know, it just never seems like it gets his pulse racing. You know, he just seems like, yeah, I shot that guy, and now I'm going back home. Like, it just, I never really felt like he was portraying action as a, as a character. I could see that. I mean, he did throw up after his first murder, so you did see a bit of humanity in, you know, taking the life of another person. But... Uh, you know, just from a pure acting aesthetic or whatever. Yeah, you don't really get much from him. And yeah, you're right. He's not, he isn't really scared at, at all ever. Or he's pretty confident in what he's doing. Well, he has a death wish, right? So it's not necessarily... Maybe he doesn't even need to necessarily kill these guys. It's either them or me. Maybe that's the whole point. Yeah, it's kind of a okay performance, I guess, overall, from what I'm getting from Charles Bronson. But what did you think about uh, Bruce Willis over there in the remake, Reggie? I found I found it to somehow be even flatter. Like, <laughs> That's funny because like when I was watching it, I was like, "Okay, Charles Bronson, pretty flat with his emotion. Let's see how Bruce Willis does." Wow, perfect casting for a remake. Pretty flat in his emotion. Del- I mean, delivery it, it, and it almost feels like he's he's sleepwalking through all this stuff. <laughs> he's doing that classic Bruce Willis kind of. He's got the squint going on, <laughs> like a pain face. He's just like walking around. He's yeah. What do you? My daughter and my stuff. And <laughs> you're telling me there's not enough police? Uh, like, he, he just, he's upset about a lot of things. Here's the thing about the Bruce Willis one, right? Like, you're talking about Charles Bronson. He's ripped. And I kind of get how that guy is, you know, able to go out and be a vigilante. Bruce Willis is a suburban dude. We'll get into jobs later, but he's a suburban guy. There's no indication of why he would be capable of doing this. And he just kind of, I don't know, he just keeps gaining more skills through YouTube. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand why he's able to do 
what he's able to do. And I, I'm, I don't buy him, at least as the character. Because, I mean, we bought Bruce Willis as an action star for years. I don't buy this particular character being a badass. I think part of it is you buy it because it is Bruce Willis. I think you kind of nailed it right there. The only reason you're able to go for the ride in the remakes because, oh, it's Bruce Willis. So his um, inadequacies as a fighter or defender or vigilante are made up because it's Bruce Willis playing the role. So you just go along for the ride. But I think you're right. There's not much in his background or what his character does at all to sort of justify him being able to do what he does as opposed to Charles Bronson. Um, we can get into their backgrounds a little bit. So Charles Bronson, he's a war vet from the Korean War. And as far as I know, they don't say anything about Bruce Willis having any fighting or any training with a gun at all, right? No, he, he pretty much, and I mean, even on um, one of the scenes, because uh, Bruce Willis cuts his hand in one of the scenes because he's holding the gun wrong. Right. So the slide comes back and it, uh, he injures himself. So he's he's just learning everything on the fly. He's clearly not even that good at it. He kind of just goes from being, I don't know how to hold the gun, to some of the other scenes that we see and different abilities that make zero sense for both these characters. In this case, Charles Bronson is an architect in New York City. He's got a pretty nice white-collar job. He's got a lot of money. As you said in the synopsis, that's why his family's targeted. Bruce Willis, who plays a surgeon in the film, and... Yeah, right. Buying that as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I, I was kind of hoping for a little more uh, Bruce Willis to say, like, ER talk, you know? <laughs> but uh, they spared us of that, which probably is for the best. <laughs> I mean, to talk about the character, he's talking kind of like he's a Chicago cop, and he's a surgeon. <laughs> like, he doesn't say anything that, like, makes me think he's a doctor. <laughs> that he's opened up a medical book ever. <laughs> he makes not one medical reference, like a real one. Throughout the film, it's it's odd, to say the least. Yeah, even when he's sealing up his wounds, like, he doesn't use anything out of, like, the ordinary. That's too crazy, you know? Like, nothing that an ordinary person couldn't figure out for themselves. Yeah, and I think it's a missed opportunity, because in the first film, Charles Bronson, yeah, he's an architect, but when push comes to shove, you find out that he was a veteran of the Korean War. He was a conscientious objector, which adds to his character as well, that, like, he didn't agree with the war and kind of pushed back while still being a soldier. But like, we now understand why he's able to shoot a gun. You know, that, that little thing right there lets you know that he's capable with weaponry. So that helps, <laughs> you know, and then you're looking at Bruce Willis and it's like, all right, you don't have that type of background with any sort of gun experience, at least sort of lean into the medical thing. Like I, there's could have been different things. You could have had almost like a breaking bad thing where he's like mixing uh, mm, things yeah. together and using medical skills like help. I mean, there's one torture scene where he kind of talks about it, but like he could have found that out on YouTube. <laughs> and just going back to that, like it's funny because we said before that Charles Bronson, after his first murder, he got fairly sick and threw up. And he's a war vet, so he's seen that shit. Bruce Willis never seen anything like that after his first murders. He's fine. Fine. You know, walked it no, off. No problem. <laughs> Again, that, like you said, as much as we were saying Charles Bronson's take was flat, the character development, maybe this is a script thing over the acting itself, but like the character development makes sense to me. So it builds out this humanitarian character who's like, yes, I am skilled, but I don't like to do this. So when he kills someone and he's affected that way, it makes sense because he never really wanted to go into battle, per se. Mm -hmm. And here he is 
circumstances in his life were pushing him in this direction. And you get a little bit of resistance there that makes sense for a guy who just makes his nine to five as an architect. And now he's out in the streets, like, you know, fighting guys and like shooting people. Like there, there's a progression <laughs> that happens with that character that makes sense. Whereas Bruce Willis, he's mad, he's out there and it doesn't matter what crime it is. I'm just going to shoot the guy and I have no problem doing it. I don't lose any sleep. You know, the bad guys deserve it more or less. Yeah, I was just thinking about this as you were saying it, because Bruce Willis could have had a really good arc because he's a doctor, you know, trained his whole life to heal people. And now everything's been flipped around. Now he has to kill people. It's just a really interesting arc if you think about it. But they don't do anything with that in the movie at all. The closest thing and it's lazy is the um, the split screen where you see him like picking up medical tools. And then in his like private life, he's like putting together guns. So instead of scalpels and and gauze it's you know bullets and clips and it's like it actually bothered me to see that juxtaposition because again he's supposed to you know follow like this like hippocratic oath it's insane that he's just out there actively killing people when his job is you know ethical and saving lives and he i don't know without enough push i understand the family element but there's not more to it to make that feel right Right. Or he doesn't, there's no sign of resistance from him. Like, it just seems so natural for him. Yeah, I was saving people, now I'm killing people. There should have been something more, like we had from Charles Bronson, that little bit of resistance, at least physically. Like, something, give us something to show us that (laughs) this is not easy for you. That this isn't just, yeah, I'm just an action star, so of course I can kill people like this. No, you're a doctor. Show us what it's like for a doctor to go from saving people to now having to kill people. 100%. You know, when we're talking about motivation, I think it's important for us to talk about setting. Charles Bronson is living in New York City in the 1970s. If you know anything about that city during that era, New York was a tough, tough place. Like, you got films like Taxi Driver that show this, like, seedy, dirty, crime-ridden city. And it was a, there were real problems. Like, you did not want to be in Times Square at that time. You know, it, it was a dangerous place. I mean, the subways, just full of crime. You have that setting versus... Uh, Bruce Willis in Chicago in, you know, 20, let's just say anywhere between 2016, 2018, you know, Chicago has a lot of issues, a lot of crime, gangs, a lot of inner city violence. I don't know, like the way the movies portray those different settings, again, when we're talking about character motivation, makes sense to me that Charles Bronson is in sort of the situation that he's in, you know, he's in a crime ridden city. You know, there's these street punks that notice his family. They basically follow him and try to rob him. Makes sense. The other side, Chicago, I mean, he's a doctor in Chicago. He's not in, like, the south side. He's, he's, not, he's not in a community where there's gang violence. So this violence, though there is violence in Chicago, is completely unrelated. Yeah, <laughs> definitely the, a lot more the, random in the remake. It, it's like, all right, you, these are, like, sophisticated criminals they have like a crime ring that like decided to hit you up because it looked like you had some money when you were parking your car with a valet again charles bronson bad city this shit is happening all over the place bruce willis you can be insulated from this type of violence and this is not chicago violence you know as it's portrayed in like the media that's affecting him this is this is like organized crime very different (laughs) than street punks that are running rampant The motivation is completely off kilter, in my opinion, when you think about it from that setting. Yeah, Chicago today 
is much safer than New York was in the 70s. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Not downplaying any of the, the problems there, but like, come on. <laughs> For him to shift again from this thing happened to my family to now I'm going to fight organized crime. Well, not organized crime, but like just fight crime in general. It just feels a little misguided when you look at it from that perspective. And I just want to add a little thing. Bruce Willis's family, you know, pretty rich, modern day. They don't have a security alarm. <laughs> Dan, you're, you're saying some things that... Um, My tone's I, all wrong. <laughs> I was thinking about it as I was watching the film, and I'm like, you haven't beefed up your security since then? <laughs> you didn't get a dog? You didn't, like... You know, like, I, I don't know. Like, there, there's so many things he could do. He's rich. Yeah. I mean, he is rich. So, private security... Security system, alarms, cameras, all yeah. these things are available to you. And we know that because it's a modern film. Yeah. And even your doorbell has a camera these days. They, they have nothing. Man, my, they my are rich. Has, I'm saying like, yeah, my doorbell has a camera. Yeah. I think, I think that in that situation, and maybe because of how violent the crime was, I can see someone getting pushed into a corner and feeling like this is what they need to do. But there's also this idea that, like, also with your resources, make sure that your home is secure because that's really the root of his problem. It's not the street crime. It's it's his own home defenses are lacking. Mm -hmm. But he's, like, extrapolated this to all of the city. He, he hasn't done the bare minimum in his own life to try to mitigate this, which is why later in the film we see basically the same thing happening. <laughs> We'll get no. to that when we talk about the well. endings. But yeah, I, the remake definitely reaches a lot further for, I guess, setting to say how bad the crime is than the original does. The original is definitely more reflective of the times than the remake, hands down. And by being reflective of the time, it feels more authentic. I understand Charles Bronson's motivation, even if he sometimes may struggle with showing me his motivation. Well said. So we talked about their backgrounds. We talked about what they currently did. And let's talk about their motivations for becoming this vigilante or just what drives them exactly as they're out at night taking out these criminals. So the original Paul Kersey, he doesn't really have, I guess, a focus, right? He just wants to stop crime because, like we said, there's just so much crime in his city. Nobody's doing it, anything about it. The cops are like, they seem helpless. So he's going to go out at night and just start shooting criminals, taking them off the streets. But Bruce Willis is Kersey. He's a little more focused. His motivation is about avenging his family. What did you think about the remake refocusing the motivation of Paul Kersey? I think that for a modern film audience, I think that it's a smart choice. The way people are used to engaging in movies now you have the big bad guys. You kind of want to see if it is a revenge plot, which which this is, you want to see the actual revenge. So by focusing on the criminals, I think that that was a positive choice. In the same breath, I will say that how he's getting his <laughs> is problematic for me, to say the least, as a uh, as an audience member. I'll build on that. I like. The fact that the original, that he is just kind of going out and just taking out random crime. Because it was a random act of violence that happened to his families in both movies. So he doesn't know anything. The police don't know anything. He has nothing to go on. And he's a normal dude. 
He's not a cop. He doesn't know how to look up clues or follow forensics or anything like that. So he's mm. just going to go out in the streets and just he's going to throw whatever he's got out there, whatever sticks is what he's going to go with. Um, it makes sense that you would want that focus of I'm going to avenge my family and then have them avenged. But the odds of a normal man doing that without any skill set to do that are just so small. It just It's more realistic of the original to just have him going out there and just, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to kill everybody because I, I, I don't know how else to avenge my family because I can't find these three random guys. Yeah, so I human, like the original for doing that. Absolutely. It's a human story. It's a, a person that feels helpless. He's had this horrible thing happen to him. In a way, he's lashing out. You know, he's lashing out. And it's like you said, it's unfocused because why would it be focused? Like, what, he's got nothing to go on, like you mentioned. You know, it starts with this thing where he, whether it's self-defense or looking to, you know, just take a stand as he's going through this sort of vigilante justice, he finds out that he likes it. That That's a very interesting character arc. I do like the fact that it's more, you know, just sort of random because it feels, again, I think I'm going to use this word a lot. It just feels a little more authentic. So even in a kind of dumb sort of beat him up, shoot him up film, <laughs> there's just more to go on for the character in, in this particular situation. The Bruce Willis stuff feels... um formulaic you know like yeah. you need to hit these beats in a movie for it to be an action film that's how it feels and i think the character gets lost in that because it, it just too much random circumstance for him to just happen across all these clues that somehow <laughs> all tie back into the people that did this yeah it's complete accident like i'd say 90 percent <laughs> of the things that he finds to lead him to his family's killers it's insane. Just random happenstance. And Oh, that guy's gun fell off a gurney. Yeah. Well. Oh, this this guy in the hospital is has my watch. She just happens to be wearing the same watch yeah. that I was wearing. And it's I like, have to be the surgeon that's yeah. working on it today. Exactly. Come on. Yeah, I know. It's it's too neat of a package in the remake. All of that happens. Like he not only like has this mission to like find his family's killers, but he finds them all like just so easily by complete random happenstance and it's just like the universe just throws everything at him and he's like okay yeah. thanks universe it's again just going back back to that authenticity if your family was killed and you have no skills in investigating or just doing any forensics things and you wanted to just fight crime you would probably just go out there and just go fight criminals so nobody else would have to go through what you're going through if you could find your family's killers that's great but the odds of you finding them are so small that it just feels fake if you actually do find them. Like, it's, the odds of you actually finding them are just not possible. Yeah, the odds are super low. I, I would rather there have been some sort of clue that the cops missed in the home that he, like, found that led him somewhere. But, like, versus, like, oh, I'm working on the dude that sold my watch. I'm like, yeah. what? Not only are this this happenstance, you know, happening to him, the level that this crime ring goes up is insane. <laughs> insane. It, yeah. I mean, you might as well be like, you know, Jimmy Hoffa killed you. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Right. He unwinds a very intricate crime ring. This guy, 
<laughs> yeah, this random doctor who's never done anything like this in his entire life has just done what the Chicago Police Department couldn't do <laughs> their whole tenure, you know? And the, kind of, the movie's kind of hitting you over the head. Now. I don't want to get into too many uh, extra characters, but like when he goes to his wife's funeral, was that like his, the dad or something like that? You know? uh, yeah, I was going to ask you who that old man was too. I have no idea because you see him once and he's gone. Never see him again. But like you got this old man and, it, and again, I get where what the scene is for. You know, everyone's angry. They talk about like basically like religion, like a, a plan. And why would a God let something like this happen? But the guy just like comes off the road and like shoots <laughs> at crim- like I, I don't know. <laughs> just came from a funeral. He's shooting guns at random dudes on his farm. OK, <laughs> you know, and, and like the, the line, um, uh, you know, the police, they're not going to come till after the crime. A man's got to take care of his own. And it's just like, it's so like heavy handed and over the top. What part of Chicago are they in that there's like a, a, like a farm? farm? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about that for the first time just now. And, yeah, I did okay. as as did I. So yeah, <laughs> I think we I think we would um, have been remiss to leave out the fact that part of Bruce Willis's um, motivation is an angry dude at his wife's funeral had a very macho line about a man protecting his own. I guess help push him in the direction of being a vigilante as well. So another one of those like weird MacGuffins that's just in the movie is supposed to be character development, but it just led to more confusion in my opinion. I like, I still don't know who that guy was. I'm like, I, I'm kind of with you. He's either his dad or his wife's dad. And it's just, that scene's just in there. So you can see the light switch turn on in Bruce Willis's head. Oh yeah. The police won't do anything. I have to take matters into my own hands. Just like this old man did. See, Moving the plot forward, that's what that whole scene was. Not terribly great. Anyway, let's let's move on to uh, some of the unique methods of attacks that our Paul Kersey's take on before we move on. They're both pretty comical, uh, <laughs> in my opinion, some of these scenes. So let's just talk about the original before uh, Paul Kersey gets his gun on. Uh, what's, what's his original weapon there, Reggie? Well... I believe he takes a stocking. Well, first, I think he goes down to his local bank. <laughs> gives himself about $20 worth of uh, pennies. Um, uh, they're rolled up. I think they were quarters, Reggie. Oh, they are quarters. A much okay. harder hitting coin, if I may say so. That is, that is a harder coin. So he takes a uh, bunch of rolled up quarters, <laughs> stuffs them into a stocking. And this is a, this is a weapon that people use. <laughs> Um, it's kind of yeah. like a full metal jacket with the soap and the towels, right? Yeah, I forget what the official name of that particular impromptu weapon is. It does have a name, but um, quarters in a stocking. And that's, he's just walking the street and um, if anyone messes with him, <laughs> he's going to turn around and thwap. That weapon makes a thwap sound, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a weird... There were, it was a very weird scene. There was two muggers, if I'm not mistaken, right? I believe so. He fought um, off two muggers with knives, most likely. A lot of these muggers have knives in the original. So two guys with knives got scared off by an old man in a sock full of quarters. Yes. Yep. <laughs> that happened. I don't know if that's my favorite part about that, or it might be after 
his successful fighting of crime afterwards he goes home and just starts swinging that sock like a madman in his own yeah. home destroying various pieces of furniture uh just just to bring back i'm looking at my notes um the weapon is basically what's called a blackjack when you take a sock and two rolls of quarters <laughs> you know what in this one i think it was one mugger so let's let's give a little bit of credit to the film i think it was one mugger based on the note that i'm, I'm looking at here but uh yeah he goes home and he's like practicing his mugger attacks you no know? no 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 reggie i have in my notes they both run away so i'm gonna go with that there were two and if we're uh, wrong people let us or let us know who's wrong i'm going with two there's two muggers I, I like this game. Uh, I think there's one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That scene is hilarious when he goes back and he's like hitting his couch and stuff like that. He's just like, swinging it like a lasso in his house. just going nuts. Again, that, that shows you once again, there's a ramp up here. You know, there there's I we start with our improvised weapons. We move on in the way he gets his gun. I think matters as well. Should we talk about that? So his boss is because it's the 70s and people don't understand mental health. Um, <laughs> Paul, you seem just really down about your family <laughs> murdered and assaulted. Uh, hey, why don't you get some fresh air? You know, we're going to send you to Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> and um, yeah, because he's an architect and he's going to go make a deal in Tucson. If if you didn't tell me they were in Arizona, I would have thought it was Texas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The ten gallon hags walk around. Oh, you city folk are soft. You know he introduces Paul the idea that guns are pretty cool, and it's in that scene where we do learn that Paul's a veteran of the Korean War. He's basically gifted a gun by this guy he's trying to make a real estate deal with. You know he goes back to New York City with a Glock, right, in his suitcase, just able to check it in, no problem at security. Well, the bullets were separate from the gun, so if you recall. Oh. <laughs> Okay. I don't know if that makes a better dance. <laughs> <laughs> can yeah. you wait, can you do that? Can you gift a gun? I mean, I know you I don't think you can do that today, but could you ever gift a gun? You know, I don't know enough about that. I bet you could. That sounds illegal to me. <laughs> it sounds illegal and um it does introduce me to one of my one of my issues with the uh, original since we're talking about it. Not cool to take a guy's registered weapon and go on a vigilance <laughs> shooting spree in New York City. That's... We traced the bullets back to a guy in Arizona. Got it. We found our guy. He's a cowboy. All right. Makes sense. <laughs> Cowboys, vigilantes, got it. The movie didn't really explore that, but that was one of those things, you know, if we're going to be fair to both films, um, that was one of those things that was in my head like, that's not a smart plan. No, it was not. But he doesn't really have smart plans. No, yeah, well, like we said, he's just going to go out there, just shoot whoever the fuck is out there. Just another scene where we learn more about the character and his war background. We learn that he actually knows how to shoot a gun because he's shooting at a target range. And we have clearly the moment where this is going to ramp up. You know, he didn't really seek this out. He didn't know that he had a gun, but now he does. And it just elevates the stakes so much more. And we get that nice little ramp up in the film. As opposed to like Bruce Willis, where he's got the scene where he gets beat up by some like street toughs, and then next next thing you know, he's looking to buy a gun. Um, but the process is too hard, man. <laughs> no, I think I don't think it was the process. I think he saw the cameras, and he realized that it could come back to him. 
And if he's going to be a vigilante, that's a no-no. So he wanted to acquire a gun probably through legal means. Maybe if he got it as a gift, he would have been fine. But he did not get it as a gift. But it's a good thing he's a doctor, Reggie, because luckily a man who was shot, most likely a criminal, mm-hmm. uh, who was shot, had a gun on him when he's brought to the hospital. And the police did not remove it. They no. kept it on his person. And right. <laughs> it fell to the ground. Nobody saw it among sure all these doctors. And luckily Bruce Willis just kicked it, uh, kicked it away so he could pick it up later. And that's how he gets his gun. <laughs> I don't know which one's worse, dude. Like they're oh, both that pretty... one's worse, dude. <laughs> because now you gotta you gotta answer your question in a 2018 film where he's getting his bullets. Yeah, they don't answer that question, but you gotta ask it if you're you know thinking about it. Because like, how many bullets does this guy have in this gun that he just picked up in the hospital? And if he runs out of bullets, where is he getting them from? It's not like he's only using his gun when he's fighting crime. He's practicing a lot in that garage or whatever, and he's doing a lot of target practice stuff. So he's using a lot of bullets. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure it was just a gun with one clip. So he definitely had to go out to wherever and buy more, right? He got stocked up, which, you know, would kind of lead you back to, well, (laughs) that's neither here nor there. You know, like looking at that scene, since we did talk about the old man scene, wouldn't it have been better... That the old guy shoots at, at, you know, people trying to steal from his farm. He does his whole speech about being a tough guy and a man's got to have a gun. Why doesn't he just give Bruce Willis a gun? Yeah, that's what I thought was going to happen. Like That would make the movie feel a lot better than the gun fell off the gurney. And you know what they could have done, too, because he's an old dude. He could have been like, oh, this is my war buddy's gun. Gave it to me. And now you can have it. Right? So then it's not traceable. Back to Bruce Willis. There you go. Bam. We just rewrote that so much better. I mean, if you're going to sh- if you're going to film that scene, you should do that thing. You know, like it shouldn't fall off of a gurney like that doesn't. Yeah, this is not a good way to introduce the gun. It can make so much sense to be like, what about you? Do you have a gun? You'd be like, well, no. Well, here, take this one. Bam. So easy. And it's in line with um, the original film where the Ames character in Tucson is telling him how great guns are. And then gives him a gun. The idea that you're in this f- hospital surrounded by doctors, and I'm assuming police, uh, and then that a gun could fall to the ground, and you're the only one that notices it, and the cops aren't going to be looking for this gun, right? Because they got shot at. They're going to be looking for the suspect's gun. If I'm a cop and like, uh-oh, I can't find the gun. Maybe one of the doctors took it. it the movie's over. You got caught. Yeah. I guess let's tie this all back in. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. I think really what we're saying here is that again, you know, Paul Kersey, we're getting this we we're getting this introduction with the blackjack that he makes himself, then he's gifted a gun, and that sort of begins his entire vigilanteism. Bruce Willis, he gets his gun in a different, strange way. Again, but no- it's another random happenstance that happens to him. So much of the remake is just so random. He randomly finds his gun. Sorry about that diatribe about the gun, but uh, <laughs> bringing it back to the methods of attack. Of course, we have our the blackjack scene, but now we both characters have guns. Let's talk about how they use them. So I do have a little problem with the original here, because obviously, you know, you got your Paul Kersey. He's going out randomly finding guys on the streets and just shooting them. And it's like, wow, this guy's pretty impressive. He's just taking out crime left and right. But... All of Paul Kersey's, I guess, uh, targets, we'll call them, they all have knives. None of them have a gun. 
ever. So he's just like this old dude with a gun just taking them out. All these guys with just a knife. And it's definitely one-sided. It feels a little cheesy. It's kind of hard to root for somebody when they have... When it's just so easy for them, you know? It's uh, You almost feel bad for the criminals because they're like, shit, this guy has a gun. And then they're running, they're like running away sometimes and he's still shooting at them. So he's kind of a madman in the original. I don't yeah. know, what do you think about that? No, I, I agree that there is a bit of madness to him. I find it hard to believe that he's the only person with a gun in the city, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like nobody, none of these criminals have a gun. They didn't steal it or, you know what? The other thing that makes him sort of mad as it were, is he, he's looking for trouble. You know, he's doing things that are, are dangerous specifically to try to get someone to try to, you know, rob him or mess with him. And these people who are, you know, I get it. They're criminals. They're bad guys, but, I don't know, you broke out a knife, you're like, give me your wallet, and this guy just, like, shoots you and your buddy. And it's not like he shot him once. He goes back and finishes them off. <laughs> this guy is, like, he's d- double-tapping all over the place. <laughs> it's, it just feels a little, um, like you said, it feels one-sided, and it feels off because a lot of times we're talking about, like, petty crime. I get the knives make it more dangerous and that, you know, there is an element of violence, and if you have something to defend yourself, use it. But he, he's, like, literally going out, like, three at night or, like, going into bad neighborhoods and just waiting for someone to try to get him. It just doesn't feel like these uh, these are organic crimes that are happening. He's he's just out looking for murder. Yeah, and that's, like, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Like, some of these guys are beating up a guy, which is, you know, it's shitty. But now you're going to kill them? It's definitely heavier on his crime than what they were doing. Absolutely. I mean, it's very heavy-handed. It's premeditated there's no real self-defense argument after you know a spree of um vigilante justice and yeah it does it does make it a little bit harder to root for the guy even though we know his motivation he's overdoing his response to some of these more mundane crimes that are happening yeah yeah definitely agree so i guess maybe that's why they gave you the focus of Bruce Willis's Paul Kersey in the remake so that you could maybe understand more why he's doing it. I guess I don't think was he so bloodthirsty in the remake. I don't think he was as much in the original. I, I think that on the back end, he's not, but when he first jumps in, he, you know, he's definitely over dealing his justice as well. Cause I think his first real like, um, setup is that carjacker, right? Yeah. I get that the car's getting jacked. Did you need to shoot everybody? I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is pretty sloppy, too, I suppose. But at least he's fighting guys with guns. That, that's fair. So they I mean, definitely even the playing field, even though he does go a little bit overboard in his attacks. In, in both films, there's an element of, um, of like the city sort of getting behind these characters and people being um, you know, inspired by the vigilante. Like, it's kind of a harder on-ramp for me when he shot, like, a carjacker as, like, kind of like a bystander. I guess that's a good Samaritan act. And and then both movies always try to make the the bad guys actual bad guys, you know, criminals. So, you know, Charles Bronson is getting robbed by thieves. But Bruce Willis, he like you said, he's got more focus. Um, like, again, with the happenstance, he's helping that kid. 
and he tells him about the drug dealer, the ice cream man. And it's just like, I don't know, man, another weird situation where it's like, I get that the guy sells drugs and I get that he hurts kids, but you just murdered him. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, you don't really know that guy. You don't, you don't really know the full story. And yeah, he seems like a bad guy, but like, we have a system in place for this. His vigilante justice doesn't really hold up, which is why I'm glad that they then shifted focus to the actual criminals. So I think if the entire movie was just him going after sort of drug dealers and carjackers, I don't think that movie goes over very well um, with a modern audience. It might not go well. Uh, yeah, it might not go over well with a modern audience, but I think it would have been more true to the original. And it would have been an interesting kind of take on it. It's like he's sort of getting his intel from his patients. And it's like sort of this vigilante doctor who's uh, out for vengeance for all these people he's doing surgery on. So he's saving people on one end and then he's getting vengeance for them uh, at night. It's kind of a cool dynamic. I was just thinking about it as we were talking about it. It's like, that might be kind of a good way to go about that movie. At least you could you can hang on the doctor thing a little bit longer too. So it could be interesting. And then it's more true to the original because he's just out there just for justice. He's not necessarily out there to avenge his family. I could see like um, almost like a Fox sitcom type aspect, like, <laughs> like Doctor House, but he was basically Batman, almost like a Dexter, but he's actually a um, doctor. Yeah, know that. yeah, yeah, like Dexter. Yeah, <laughs> that could be interesting. Which you know makes me wish that the movie actually did embrace that skill set more because they just kind of throw that the one thing he's really good at to the wind, and then he's just kind of like randomly like looking things up that he's not good at. It's like, well, yeah. why don't we use his skill set? Yeah. So Showtime, call us up because we have uh, Death Wish the series ready for you. But yeah, I now that you're talking about it, I, I kind of wish that's the direction the movie went in instead of just uh, focusing on the vengeance for his family. Because yeah, it would have been interesting to or, or, see or, that dynamic. Or don't make him a surgeon. It's like, I know the first film, like the closest link is that when Charles Bronson's Paul Kersey was in the... Uh, was in the army he was in the medical corps but like they don't really say he's like good at that you know <laughs> it's just kind of like an aside whereas like they went all in and this guy's a surgeon i don't understand how a surgeon could pull all this stuff off you know but it's like it's a cool kind of dichotomy it's like this guy and you remember in the beginning of the the remake he had to uh do surgery on one of the guys that shot a cop Right. So the cops like, oh, you got to save this guy now, too. It's like, yeah, it's my job. Right. So it could have been an interesting dynamic if like Bruce Willis had to like save even one of the criminals that killed his family or something. And there's a lot of good stuff to draw from that the remake didn't touch upon at all. Is kind of where I'm going. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I've just now I'm just like ranting. Like, yeah, this would be a good series. Again, Showtime. Call us up. <laughs> we got you. Again, like, it, it. you know, we keep making reference to different things like Dexter and like. Breaking Bad and stuff like that. Like, there's there's precedent for that type of show. And it's like, if this was maybe, maybe they had more space to work in, maybe this was serialized, they would have explored that. But the movie just leaves the stuff kind of hanging out there and it just never gets utilized, which is a shame because I think that there, like you said, that there was space for this to be a more interesting character just based off of, like, how he was... We were saying, like, sort of the methods of attack or, like, how the different characters attack. Like, that would have been interesting if he would have been more medically minded in his attacks. And just not for nothing, but like you're talking about like they should have spread this out. There were five Death Wish movies. They could have easily spread this out into a few more, you know? They didn't have to 
put everything in the first one, you know? It would have been so cool. Damn, now I want to see that Death Wish movie. We're getting off topic, though. Not to get off topic, because I know we, we started to kind of drift off a little there. You know, we talked about the methods of attack, but we should sort of talk about how the films actually portray violence. And oh, yeah. I, I found that there there's sort of an interesting, almost like, switch in the two films. You know, we talked about character motivation, but in that first film, when they show Paul Kersey's family um, assault. Oh, yeah. It it's pretty pretty intense, man. It's one of the most violent scenes I've seen in a movie I, ever. <laughs> I mean, across the board, I agree. It's just like they they take some big swings in uh in that film, and uh, it's interesting that Jeff Goldblum was able to <laughs> parlay that in the the career that he has. Yeah, it's interesting. So I guess I'll go into the details a little bit. It's, it's pretty nitty and gritty here. Um, yeah. So the family in the original gets assaulted by three men. There, I didn't even know that was the daughter the first time um, when I saw it. Anyway, it's the mom and daughter in the apartment. And then these three men break in. They claim to be or delivering the groceries from the grocery store. They're obviously not. They break in and they just start attacking the women. They beat up the wife. They just keep calling her mother and beating her up. And then they sexually assault the daughter pretty violently and they show a lot there a lot yeah they show jeff goldblum taking down his pants and pretty much putting his crotch area to her face right it's pretty graphic and they also pull down the daughter's panties and like spray paint her ass and like it's really graphic it's like today if you were trying to do that there has to be a trigger warning you know like it's uh for the film and the tone i i guess i respect them taking such a bold portrayal of that like they keep it really real which falls in line with um what type of city new york was at the time i mean it it's pretty intense to have like major characters in the film being assaulted like that and for how long that um that scene plays out yeah it's it's pretty jarring yeah it really comes out of nowhere too because up to that point you hadn't really seen that much violence in the movie and you had been spending time with Kersey and his wife and it was pretty pleasant up until then like everything just seemed really happy and then the turn that the original film takes it's just a really dark turn it's as dark as it can get without actually showing you all that violence it's it's incredibly graphic and if if you're a fan of heart don't don't watch it because it's it's like I said it's one of the most graphic scenes I've ever seen in the movie is interesting because like knowing that and having watched the original before watching the remake yeah <laughs> i'm sitting there I'm like okay because the remake at least the setup you're like whoa this is pretty intense like the way the criminals come to their house like they get bruce willis's family's information from the gps in the car yeah. the valet is a active criminal he brings like three of his friends they have masks they have like pretty like hardcore weapons and you're like, holy shit. Like, how are they going to show this? Because if they did they did all that in the 70s, what are they going to do here? Yeah. And it's kind of like, mm, fade the black. They don't really show anything. And I'm just going to say I'm happy they didn't show anything. I agree. Because, like I said before, in the original, I didn't know that was the daughter. I just thought it was like a friend of the mom. I thought and, that as well at the beginning. I, yeah. I think that wasn't really outlined well. And I did no. think that it was a friend. Yeah, and um, she is a bit older in the original. She's already married, but in the remake, she's in high school. So I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to see this high school girl get raped. It was just, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And I'm 
happy they didn't go that direction because not only is she younger you spend more time with her you don't see her at all in the original until the assault scene pretty much or the grocery store before the assault scene so she doesn't have a lot of screen time before she gets assaulted but you spend a lot of time with the teenage daughter in the remake and just like how her life's turning around like oh i just got accepted to this great college and i'm doing great and like everything else in my life and it's like oh my god i don't want to see this happen to this girl so i'm kind of glad they did what they did in the remake instead of showing a violent rape. And like, um, and even with everything that goes on, you, unless I miss something, but like, there's still sort of like ambiguity there. Like, they don't really specifically say that she's assaulted in that manner. From what I remember, I could be wrong about that. But, in the um, remake, no. Uh, he wants to. One of the criminals wants to, but he, the other guys like keeps him in check. It's like, you can't do that, and that's kind of yeah. where things fall apart for the criminals, and they're forced to shoot the the curzies at that point so i don't think anything happens to her except for getting shot yeah i I agree i don't don't think so either and you know like you said the amount of time because the first you know a couple minutes of the movie is mostly about the daughter and like what's going on in her life she's playing soccer and she's got all these prospects you know everything is going well in her life and she's about to start a new chapter of her life which is what makes sort of the this whole scene in the assault tragic and, you know, adds more motivation to the Bruce Willis character. Because, you know, you see elements where he gets kind of pushed around in, like, one of her soccer games, and it pushes him over the top. But I'm glad that they didn't go that violent there. And, and you would think that sort of going forward, hey, maybe they're going to pull, pull back some punches in this new film. <laughs> and there is a complete flip-flop in tone between the two movies following that because i would say after that original kind of assault scene in the first film violence becomes a little more cartoonish yeah and outlandish yeah he's out there he's shooting people and and all that but it it doesn't feel like super real no it doesn't and it's not too graphic either because they're never close to each other when they when he shoots any of the criminals he's pretty far away so it's there's nothing like brains exploding or anything in the original. It's mostly guys getting shot in the stomach or the gut or whatever. And they just kind of bleed out the cheesy seventies blood. (laughs) And it it does look rather cartoonish. And it, yeah, from that assault to his family, the violence definitely just seems to go down or just the portrayal of violence. It's definitely never as graphic as that initial assault on his family. It never reaches those standards at least. Hell of a way to sort of start the violence in your film. And then I think what the series is a little bit more known for, because after a certain point, from my understanding, those films get pretty ridiculous. <laughs> and you, start to, you start to see some of that tone in some of the, like, the, the other vigilante scenes. Now, the remake goes completely the opposite direction. They're like, well, look, we're not going to show anyone, any women getting assaulted in this movie, but... They didn't even show them getting shot because when you hear the gunshots go off it's a shot of the house from the outside so you never actually see them even get shot so you're not sure what happened until you get to the hospital later so they really played down the violence to the women a lot in the remake i think that's a smart call for this particular film i think so Um, yes (laughs) one based on when it's coming out and then there's other elements of maybe what the tone or you know climate of the movie is that were problematic. I don't think that they needed to have to answer questions about that as well. You know, I think yeah. that there's enough here 
that they had on their plate that they didn't need to get into um into that yes smart move by the remake yes smart move because i think it allowed you to do more things with bowling balls and uh car <laughs> Yeah, so let's, you know, Dan, I think you got to talk about it, man. Let's talk about some of the creative deaths in the remake. So Bruce Willis is doing his doctor thing, and one of his victims, by complete random happenstance, just happens to be one of the men that assaulted his family. It was um, it was actually the valet, because he recognized the tattoo that the valet had, and the valet had the watch on while he was in the hospital. So Bruce Willis connected the dots. Oh, this guy has my watch. He's had the tattoo. He was the valet. This guy was one of the guys that assaulted my family. So Bruce Willis steals his phone and he's able to unlock the phone thanks to uh, good old thumbprints, good old iPhones with the, <laughs> the thumbprint locks. And uh, this guy took a few pictures. Two of the pictures that he happened to take were of the Bruce Willis's address on his GPS and I guess his base of headquarters really smart if you're a criminal geez i don't i don't remember where i operate out of better take a picture of it so by freak accident this guy's third picture on his phone <laughs> is uh his base of operations so bruce willis is like i guess i'll just go there and see what happens wouldn't you know it it's kind of where the criminals hoard all the stolen items from their victims and bruce willis goes into the back of this bar or is it a bowling alley or is it a bar with a bowling? It's both. it's both. A bowling alley bar, let's call that. And he has to go to the back area, which has a man at the bar and an old man watching a very excellent bowling program with women in short skirts bowling. <laughs> what was that? Cause, I don't like, know what channel that's on. Because <laughs> I don't have that channel. Anyway, that's not important. <laughs> Bruce Willis realizes that this guy is not on the up and up. This guy figures out who Bruce Willis is. He's like, the doctor's here. So there's a shootout there. Bruce Willis has a fight with this guy and there's bowling ball trophies and bowling balls everywhere. And just when you think Bruce Willis is going to get shot, one of the bowling balls on the shelves was loose and rolls and hits the criminal on the head like fucking home alone. What the fuck, dude? It's pretty bad. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, wait, a random bowling ball saves Bruce Willis's life? Are you fucking kidding me? I rewound the scene because of how ridiculous it was. And the amount of foreshadowing to the bowling ball. They really focused on that bowling ball rolling a lot. All that was missing was the the Tweety Bird noises after the bowling ball hit. Pretty much. I mean, it's so weird because like the bowling ball, yeah, I guess it like hits the guy and then Bruce Willis still shoots him, so he still gets to shoot the guy. So you don't just get to die by a bowling ball. Bruce Willis is going to finish the job. I don't know, man. Like, that was such a weird way to end that scene. Again, a complete random thing, like, helps Bruce Willis out. It's just so random, and it's stupid. <laughs> Overall stupid. Yeah. yeah, that was a head-scratcher. Like you said, you rewound it, because you're like, did they really do that? Well, they did it. <laughs> But I guess it's an important scene because it's at this scene where Bruce Willis learns the location of another one of the men who assaulted his family. And that's where he goes to the um, auto body shop to take out criminal number two. This happens to be the criminal that wanted to rape his daughter. And uh, Bruce Willis is pretty smart. The guy's working on the car and kind of telling Bruce Willis to fuck off. But then Bruce Willis just kind of knocks him out before he's able to do anything. And then 
kind of out of saw, Bruce Willis sets up this elaborate thing where the car the guy was working on is now hooked up to a chain that hooked up to a jack that if he releases it, the car will drop down on this guy. And after Bruce Willis gets all the information he wants out of him, the name of the third uh, criminal, Bruce Willis goes, okay, that's good. And the the criminal goes, wait, so you're not going to kill me? And Bruce Willis says, uh, no, Jack will. And Bruce Willis proceeds to kick the Jack. The chain releases. Car drops on him. Again. (laughs) Cheesy shit. Super cheesy. I mean, that line, the delivery, like, I guess it was supposed to be like, when it was like clapping in the theater lines, it was like, this is bad. It was 80s cheesiness in its worst. (laughs) Yeah. That was a bad line. One of the things about this scene, besides how cheesy the line is, but, um, <laughs> you, you actually get a chance to see um, sort of what we were talking about, where his doctor skill set comes into play a little bit here. Um, you know, he hits the guy in the knee, slices him up a little bit, and he's like pouring brake fluid into the wound. Oh, and he's yeah. talking about how like whatever type of agent or acid or whatever is in there on a major like artery would be or nerve i forget what it was because it was actually kind of scientific for a second (laughs) but it's really hard for bruce willis to say those lines so we keep those short (laughs) oh yeah absolutely he's torturing this guy to get some information and it's like this is the type of stuff that this film i think needed more of those types of moments where you get to sit slow down and remember why you even made the guy doctor in the first place yeah Using his knowledge in the medical area to use it against these criminals, that's, again, Showtime, call us. This is our spinoff for the Death Wish series. It just, which is why, um, besides the cheesy line, but it's elaborate and you get to see him kind of use some of his skills, it's one of the better um, scenes, one of the better death scenes because of the setup. I mean, well, the setup the line, of this scene is good, but not the actual death. No, nah, the line is ridiculous. <laughs> And graphic, you know, it's pretty, pretty graphic. I mean, when the car falls, they, it's not like they cut away. They show you brains, man. All that to set up his next big kill. (laughs) Did you think that you would see Bruce Willis in a hoodie walking through a club, (laughs) getting into a gunfight? No, I did not. Definitely seemed to come out of nowhere. Just this old dude in a club with his hoodie just how does he get in the club first of all just dressed like in a hoodie like yeah. i don't know about you like even going into a bar you can't wear a hoodie no you can't <laughs> let alone some type of nightclub which definitely has like a security or a bouncer outside so just the that took me out of it a little bit um yeah, even that like you know a lot of nightclubs too like the guy's gonna pat you down yeah. too some yeah ca- some cases so like the movie could be over right here why is this old guy carrying around this gun? Oh, it's a gun from all the murders. Yay, that bouncer. <laughs> Solved the vigilante case. Uh, it, was just, it was a really poorly laid out plan. But it does play into the fact that this guy, Paul Kersey, doesn't really know what he's doing. So yeah. to pull a big blunder like that plays well into where he's coming from. So I didn't hate it too much. But there was, yeah, he wouldn't have gotten in the club in the first place if nah. it's if the way we're doing nah. it. Like he should have, you know... Maybe dressed up, wore a suit or something, you know? So the the Grim Reaper, um, <laughs> because of the hoodie and the hood and the Reaper. Okay. The Grim Reaper in this setting, I I don't completely hate the club scene because uh, the action is a little bit 
little interesting. There's a kind of a twist that happens there where the phone he's calling is in a stall, but the guy he's calling isn't there. It's a setup. It's a trap. This ramp up for this villain to go from kind of like street thug to random mechanic that, <laughs> you know, doesn't know what he's doing. So like this dude is like a criminal mastermind. Why was he working with these random sort of goons? Because th- this last bad guy is very well prepared and very connected when it comes to trying to take Bruce Willis out. Yeah, like, not random thugs at all. Very career criminals, organized crime, like you said, and pretty well off. He wasn't wearing a cheap suit, you know? He wasn't like uh, the original. These guys were just in fucking shitty garbage <laughs> gear, right? This guy's wearing a really fucking expensive suit. He is, and you, you get this sort of ominous these ominous scenes with him where he's interacting with Bruce Willis outside of the club. And then um, you get your real home alone moment at uh, Bruce Willis's house. (laughs) But before we get into that, we should kind of uh, discuss what the police are doing while all these vigilante um, killings are happening, because there is a backdrop of um, the police and them trying to figure out what's going on with these vigilantes in the original film. There there's, in my opinion, more of a political aspect to it because the crime rate discussion comes into play a lot more. And it's not just the cops. It's like politicians, like governors and stuff like that are involved. And they're saying, wow, the crime rates are down by like half, but we also don't want this vigilante to, you know, become some sort of martyr Mm -hmm. because a lot of people in the city are, are rallying around them. You see different little like news segments where, Old ladies are beating up uh, muggers. You got um, a construction crew that sees a mugger and they beat him up. And then one of the journalists is like, oh, he had like a broken jaw and two broken ribs. And the guy's like, oh, he must have fell. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I thought that was a funny scene. The investment in the vigilante seems to be a little bit higher in the original just because it, it goes beyond the scope of just like the police chief looking for him. It, it has become actual an actual political issue and people in the city at a high level of government are sort of talking about it. I found that to be an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it's not affecting just uh, this vigilante and the criminals, but like you said, other people are being inspired. So they're afraid by arresting him, they would make him some sort of martyr and they definitely don't want that. So they immediately say, if it's this crazy guy, let him go. And the head investigator's like, what? He's like, yeah, you heard us. He's like, okay. So he's prompted to not only sort of ignore him, but he actually helps him out a few times in the movie by giving him phone calls and letting him know that the police are coming, getting rid of the gun at the end, too. There's definitely uh, some interesting backdoor politics we get to see in the original that's not present at all in the remake. Now, yeah, the the original theorizes posits an idea of what would happen if there was this type of vigilante and what it would do to the crime rate and there's an idea that the police and you know government writ large don't want everyone in the city trying to yeah self-police is that that's a different problem that they're they're involved with but they also like the benefit of having crime rates go down because I, I imagine when they run for re-election <laughs> yeah without putting to the the vigilante they can say hey look crime rates are down yeah, so they're kind of okay with one vigilante lowering crime, but they're not okay with multiple vigilantes all of a sudden. So that's what they're trying to avoid, multiple or copycats vigilantes. I like in the remake 
that we get to see them interact a little bit more. We get some backdrop to the police characters. Dean Norris is really good <laughs> at being a cop in film and move in uh, television. You see him like struggling with like <laughs> health bars and stuff like that. There's a little bit of like comedic things happening with the police that sort of brings some levity to the film. They're kind of honed in. There's different leads that they go down. Like for instance, uh, we didn't really talk about it yet, but uh, the Grim Reaper's brother comes into play. And uh, we'll discuss that later, but, you know, at one point they're looking at him as a potential vigilante and they get kind of turned around in the film before they really lock it down. There's not the same motivation to let him go. No, it's, it's more of like a personal decision that uh, Dean Norris's cop kind of decides. He's like, all right. And uh, we couldn't find him. And it's like, all right, I guess you're free to go. He, he never really gets the... Uh, the backdoor discussion like you got to let this vigilante go he just sort of decides that okay uh this guy avenged his family and I'm just, that seems like justice to me so i'm good and i'm gonna have a donut yeah <laughs> exactly and yeah because leonore was like oh are you satisfied it's like grab the donut. <laughs> now i'm satisfied just a little bit more comedy on the way out you don't get the same government backdrop in the remake, but you do get more like radio and YouTube, which I thought was, I thought it was strange to be honest. Um, well, you're getting guess, into the, I guess the way the media is handling everything. So the original, obviously there's no YouTube or anything like that. So it's just a lot of front page headlines and, uh, international news <laughs> versus, uh, pretty much just going viral in the remake. A lot of sway, a lot of DJ sway in this. Oh uh, yeah, I appreciated seeing a uh, former MTV VJ <laughs> in this movie. As much as I rip on the remake, I definitely like what they did more because it's it's again we're talking about which film is like more of the times, and that's definitely going more into the times, going viral, it's having somebody take justice into their hands, and then like you know it being shared on every social media out there as much as possible. Um, definitely more believable to me than the original which like i said had front page headlines and like international news because like after kersey's first victim his the first criminal random criminal killed in new york city in 1970 front page headline doesn't seem as believable to me we're talking about that authenticity that that first film have that's one of the least authentic aspects of it is the way the media was covering um the Paul Kersey character or his, his vigilante and just how fast it spread. I think they were trying to convey that like people are being inspired by it, like all over the world, but it just didn't seem believable that it would be news like that quickly. I agree that there, there's um aspects of it where, yeah, from the beginning, it was like, there is no vigilante story. So for it to be front page news yeah. is, is unbelievable. That's true. I don't know, like, I appreciate that you, you like the, um, there's parts of the radio stuff that I like as well. I, I don't want to completely go off on it, but I think it sort of brings it into um, a weird space. Like, I don't think that anything overtly, like, cultural or political is being sort of said about this um, this vigilante, but I don't know. Part of it was the setting um, in sort of the climate that that we're in currently we're like if there's just like this known white guy i mean they don't know who he is but they know 
his uh his race as it were and he's running around chicago sort of doing vigilante justice i know that there was like a mixed reaction on the radio stuff but i just found it to sort of put the movie in a place i don't think it needed to be this probably should have stayed more like popcorn film territory and i think that it may have started touching on different like cultural things that weren't necessarily I don't think this was the movie to <laughs> to handle it. No, yeah. I, I get what you're saying exactly. You know, um, yeah, they touched a lot. Um, they said this is a white guy, and a lot of his victims are black people. So it they definitely touched on like, is this just a racist guy going out there? Um, which, which is which, yeah, I get what you're saying because yeah. this is definitely not that type of movie to go into those deep issues. No, no, this is like a this is like a fun shoot 'em up. Yeah, and um. There's there's fun things about the radio stuff. I, don't get me wrong. I like parts of it, but um, there's kind of like this. It's not a Greek chorus, but like there's a bit of a debate about his motives and who he is that happens on the radio. But I think that because the setting is kind of like based in like somewhat reality, you know, like it's a fictional character, but it's like a real city and like touches on some real problems. I think that it may get itself a little too close to. Um, trying to touch on like cultural stuff that I don't think the movie really is prepared to address. I guess is what I'm saying. I could see that. Um, I get yeah, it. I still like the, how it went viral, but I suppose they could have left out the racial stuff. I, if that, <clears throat> yeah, I think to clean it up. Cause the movie never really, it doesn't go like, it doesn't have the weight to address that in the first place. I could see exactly what you're saying there. Yeah. And it, it never like, really addresses it in the long run. It just kind of brings it up and yeah, it just kind like, of leaves uh, it there. To be fair as well, there is an element of that in the, the first film as well. Um, I don't know if you caught it, but like there's like a dinner party that Charles Bronson's at. And they do talk about like the yeah. fact that most of the victims are black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe this- that's why I wasn't so um, thrown off by it in the remake because they did kind of touch upon that in the original. Obviously, um, what's happening now... <laughs> I guess because it's yeah. now. Yeah, because <laughs> what's happening now and everything. It's yeah, pretty... I think like we're not we're not close to it. It's not a deal breaker, but like it takes what I think, like you said, is for me. I'll put it this way: it's like ninety percent fun. Like yeah. I like I like the backdrop, I like the the elements of it, but then there's like a couple like little lines or scenes. I'm like, eh, <laughs> you you guys can skip this. This isn't. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Bruce Willis's fight, you know, because um, it really doesn't Because ha- going back to my original thing, the violence that happens to him has nothing to do with Chicago violence. It's like a fictional organized crime thing. So, like, for them to try to, like, maybe touch on, like, that commentary just felt disingenuous to me because I'm like, you guys aren't even talking about that. So, like, maybe, maybe, like, skip that element. Right. If it had been, I maybe part of the violence, but I think the character wouldn't allow for it because, like, his character is like rich and like the dynamic, well, like you mentioned before, isn't the same. Like, in a rich person wouldn't be in the part of Chicago where you'd have gang violence issues, whereas like a rich person would still have problems in New York with um with violence in the original film. Like everyone was dealing with that problem at the time. Yeah, well, maybe a missed opportunity there um, for the filmmakers to uh, make it more relevant. Maybe make it somebody that's not really well off and just somebody of the lower class just rising up and standing up for the violence. That's that's been... 
No, you're right. That would have been interesting, actually. That's, um, that's actually one of the things I thought because um, the remake kind of starts off with um, like a police radio going off about just yeah. talking about all the various crimes. And I don't know, something in in that opening, it was like a cluster of a lot of various uh, things going on, on the radio. And something in that cluster made me almost think that they were going to kind of go with like a Black Lives Matter kind of angle. I don't know. It's just like, I was like, whoa, they're going there with this movie. Um, they didn't. And you yeah. definitely don't do it with a white guy as your lead. But like after I. Nail on the head, man. Yeah. But like after I thought that, like, I was like, oh, that's a missed opportunity. Maybe they should have cast a black guy. And I don't know. He could have done something completely different with it. But I don't want to do what I thought no, it should have been. I don't want to stay on this topic too long because I think uh, there's plenty of other stuff to talk about. But like. His problem wasn't that problem, and it made it made it a little confusing because it felt like the movie was trying to make a commentary on, on that when it clearly isn't. Or if they, they if they thought they were making a commentary on that, they missed the mark. Yeah. So what you're ultimately saying is like, since they weren't saying anything about it, they shouldn't have said anything, anything. at all. Yeah. That, that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the uh, that's a short note on that. Right. The movie isn't saying anything so right. don't if you're it. just making a popcorn action movie just stick with the popcorn action movie formula don't try to get too deep into yeah. anything that's happening politically right now yeah it's like sways just like who's the vigilante <laughs> and like it just stops there like yeah I, I don't have a problem with that but like yeah man there's too much crime in the city and it's like all right all right yeah <laughs> it just feels like um with with the fact that there is a a current sort of looming issue in that city. If you're not actually making a movie that like, this could have been anywhere. It didn't have to be Chicago at all, but it just happens to be, because I think they know it's a setting where an audience would like, accept that there's like violence. But again, the violence is so just like the original film is cartoony and over the top. It has nothing to do with like real problems. Yeah. Whereas like the original film, like we talked about the character development, it all makes sense in that setting, and it is actually kind of like a social commentary. So when they do touch on some of the social issues, it doesn't feel out of place because, like, the setting and the motivation match the time and place. Whereas this just didn't feel like it was really related to like real current events. Before we go into the ending, which is pretty much the last main thing we get to talk about, let's talk about those uh, side characters that Paul Kersey interacts with as he's going through his uh, vigilanteism, if that's a word. In the original film, Paul Kersey talks a lot with his son-in-law, played by Stephen Keats, and in the remake, he talks to his brother, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. All right, so let's talk about these side characters really quickly. Reggie, what'd you think? Which side character do you like better? Oh, I definitely like Vincent D'Onofrio's side character better. Stephen Keats as the son-in-law, ineffective. Like, he's not capable of anything. When he went to Arizona, he's sort of what the cowboy character thinks New Yorkers are like. He's just kind of like nerdy, not that tough, (laughs) really kind of a pushover. There's not much to him. He just accepts his fate. And you have that juxtaposition where Charles Bronson refuses to accept his fate and he's going to take matters in his own hand. And at a certain point, he like really doesn't really respect his son-in-law 
at all. Yeah. <laughs> and the, pretty yeah. much we don't respect him. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he, he doesn't respect him, and I sure don't either. Because, like, the guy's just like, oh, you know, I talked to the doctors, and, geez, why don't you just let things go? <laughs> he, he's calling him dad the whole time, and he just, he doesn't, there's no weight to him. He's just there, and he's, in a way, he's in the way, you know? In the remake, the the brother, I like that he's got kind of like this sort of shady um, thing going on, you know? He's he's asked for money. He's always in, like, money problems. Cops come. They, they look for him at a certain point because, like, he's at least on the police radar for, like, known criminals, which was an interesting reveal. I think the movie could have done more with that, maybe tied in some of the criminal activity that happened back to the brother, but... You know, it was cool that he had, like, sort of a street thing going on, and I felt like he was just a more influential character, even though he's in the film possibly less than the son-in-law, but he he matters when he is there. Yeah. Uh, I kind of thought that, too, going back to his checkered past, that I thought he did have something to do with the assault on uh, Paul and his family. So I thought there was going to be almost a twist that he, maybe he was the third guy or something. Um that movie been... definitely doesn't go that way. And it, it's it's just an okay thing to not have that as a twist. But I like that they kind of left his, uh, I guess, his background a little bit ambiguous. You weren't sure um, just how on the up and up he was. Because he, when you first are introduced to Vince D'Onofrio's character, he's like asking Bruce Willis for like a couple thousand dollars. He's like, I just need a couple thousand for this thing, man. It's like, okay, that sounds yeah. legitimate. Um, so yeah, I was a little suspicious of him the whole movie. And then I thought at one point that he, he was going to turn his brother in. And then I thought at another point that maybe he's going to take the fall for his brother. So it's like, he, he kept me guessing. So I really appreciated just his character and his presence. And he was definitely a lot more interesting than the son-in-law in the original, who pretty much just gave us updates on Paul Kersey's daughter and just like, Oh, now she's not talking to me. Now I can't touch her. Now, uh, our life is terrible. And he's just a whiner the whole time. And nobody likes a whiner. It's so true. Nobody likes a whiner at all. And to your point, you're right. Like there's so many different elements on remake where you don't really know what's going on with the brother, whether he's taking the fall or what's happening. I don't want to say missed opportunity. What they did with him was fine enough, but like if his money problems would have been sort of tied in to the fact that like this thing happened to uh, the Grim Reaper, that would have been interesting. That would have been a uh, place they could have explored. Um, like you said, if he would have turned out he was one of the guys, that would have been fascinating as well. Um, he, The character, it's good to have him because it there's some edge to him that kind of ties the Grim Reaper into the criminal world, at least to a little bit, little extent, but I don't think they take it far enough um, in the film, but like, it doesn't hurt to have him there. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, He's definitely better than the son-in-law. I liked him for like kind of the mystery, like what's he going to do? What's the reveal with him? Ultimately there's no reveal with him. So it's kind of a letdown, but still more interesting than the son-in-law overall. Absolutely. I guess uh, since we are talking about the son-in-law, we could talk about sort of the differences between the daughters in both films. There's a pretty profound difference in the way these characters 
sort of deal with their their trauma. Yeah, which I guess makes sense based on how traumatic the that early scene is in the original film. Yeah, like I said, we were just watching the movie and we were disturbed by it. So the character, I mean, basically she she's done. She's catatonic. She does is not prepared to interact in the world. She she um, clearly has like uh, post traumatic stress. She has nightmares and screams at night, and she's more or less once this terrible thing happens to her, her life as she knows it is over, and there's not really a real interaction that's happening with that character um, after that. Yeah, she's pretty much just catatonic at that point. She's uh, pretty much just a vegetable. They put her in a hospice. And uh, we don't really hear from her. Again, we just hear from the son-in-law, little updates on her. But she's pretty much a non-factor for the rest of the movie. You know, it's understandable from what happened to her. But it's not like what's happening to her is affecting our main character. He's not, like, torn up that, oh, my God, my own daughter is just, like, her life is ruined. That never that scene never happens and i don't know if uh bronson could pull it off but that scene never happens like i said that scene doesn't happen um his motivation early on yet it's affecting him early but speaking of you were talking about the music in the synopsis uh before the synopsis at a certain point he he doesn't even care anymore he's like throwing on records (laughs) beating guys up with socks and like this is I, i feel so alive and like bronson never really comes back to um, his motivation when it comes to his daughter. Uh, she's more or less out of the picture, and he's just now obsessed with being a vigilante. And maybe part of that is because of the son-in-law. I guess it's kind of like the son-in-law's problem. Yeah, that's kind of what I got. Like, hey, it's, she's your problem. My wife died. I'm going to listen to records and paint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and maybe because that tough guy attitude of the time, the son-in-law couldn't, like, figure it out or get his wife to snap out of it. Ron's like, all right, whatever you guys figure it out. I'm, I'm doing my thing. It's interesting. I just, I don't know. It, her presence when she is in the movie actually kind of puts things back in perspective. It makes things a little bit more depressing. Yeah. To be honest, because she's I, really struggling. Yeah. I guess the problem is like, he's not struggling. If he but, was showing any signs of like, I don't know, just like helplessness that like, man, I couldn't have been there for my wife and my daughter. And like, look what's happened to her. Like she had, she's so young. She had a whole life ahead of her. And if that had driven him at all to do anything, even like just cry, then, you know, it would have paid off. But since, like you said, he kind of just hands her off to the son-in-law. Like, that's your problem. Like, he doesn't say that explicitly, but, you know, he doesn't really care it, i never see any signs of him uh caring for her so yeah she's just really a non-factor after a while yeah. and then even when you get more c- updates about her you don't care as an audience member because it's not affecting no. kersey at all doesn't affect back in the film which no. to your point earlier when you know at the beginning you could think that that was just like the friend of the wife it didn't really matter if his daughter was there or not the fact that his wife died i think was yeah. enough motivation that we um, we probably didn't need all of the violence that we had originally because the daughter just is, after that, mostly a non-factor. Not sure why we need her or the son-in-law. They're just kind of there. I think the wife dying was probably enough motivation given what we saw in the film. Yeah, the censored TV version where you just see the wife get killed and not really the daughter assaulted. That would have that been fine too. <laughs> yeah. 
that it would have been. Whereas in this remake, you you need the daughter because even when he's hanging out with his wife, even the way the characters are introduced, like in the original Death Wish, you see Charles Bronson and his wife in Maui, like and they're interacting. They have a whole rapport. Not as much interaction with Bruce Willis's wife in this uh, this new film. It's mostly the story of the daughter and like all of her prospects and where she's going in life. Mm-hmm. And when this, when this thing happens, like he's coming at this. Yes, his wife has died, but he's coming at this as more of like a dad. You know, like I'm a father. I'm a father figure, or protector. And in this moment, I wasn't able to protect my family. And my daughter's still here, and while she is still here, I'm getting revenge. The cool thing about the daughter in the remake is, though, she's not necessarily catatonic, but she is in a coma for a large portion of the movie. And by the end, she's, you know, coming back around. She's still interacting. And I think it's nuts that this film throws her right back in. (laughs) The exact situation. And I've been home for, I don't know, (laughs) hours well strap in sister because uh <laughs> it's round two and they got machine guns this time <laughs> yeah um but just going back to your point uh as you were talking yeah i realized that the original is more like a vengeful husband and the remake's mm-hmm. more like a vengeful dad now that it after you said what you said because yeah he doesn't really seem to mourn elizabeth shoe uh too much who's his wife uh by the way <laughs> Uh, she really doesn't do much but uh yeah he's definitely just more protective of his daughter and like so mad about like what happened to her i mean it makes sense you want to protect your living relative who survived an attack but we definitely get uh more between bruce willis and his daughter and we get more of uh charles bronson and his wife uh, in their respective films i I think that there was a, a missed opportunity with the daughter in the remake when there was this scene where she was talking about like training and like defending herself. Yeah. I was waiting I was for like, that I too. Thought she was going to do something in that first scene. Like, like when the guy was like, Oh, go check in the garage. And the dude was trying to like assault her. I thought she was going to do something there. Cause like you like set it up there. She capable. Yeah. She can defend herself. She knows, I, uh, oh, Krav Maga. Krav Maga. <laughs> I don't know how to say these things. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, Krav Maga, and she's like, she's ready to go to NYU because don't let any boys try to come to her dorm room because she'll mess them up. If you're going to have that line and have her do something, you know? Yeah. It's like you showed us the bowling ball. Like, like she didn't do anything during the first assault. She didn't do anything during the second assault. She's, she's, um, you know, understandably so. She's like a victim. But the problem is you. You introduced this thing, and we're expecting it to pay off at some time, and it never pays off. It's like if, if you have Neo saying, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> and then he just reads books the rest of the movie. <laughs> We're a little upset. You know, you got to see some Kung Fu, man. <laughs> so I, I think that that was a missed opportunity. But um, this, this character clearly is a much more influential and stronger character than the daughter we have in the original film. Yeah, definitely. We've been talking about that ending a lot uh, in the remake. So maybe we should uh, transition to the endings in both films now. All right, so the ending of the original, definitely not as action-packed as the, the remake. Well, I guess it starts kind of with an action scene, so Paul Kersey does have a shootout with some criminals. Not the criminals that attacked his family. Again, just kind of random criminals. He's out there just fighting crime on his own, and he passes out. 
um, when he's about to fight the very last criminal. And he wakes up in the hospital. Before he wakes up, the lead investigator, the lieutenant, it's brought to his attention that the gun is on the scene. That, oh, this Paul Kersey has the gun, the same gun that's been used in the previous crimes. And he just says, all right, you never found this gun. Just let it go. As to his previous orders behind the scenes, that we don't want this vigilante. It was explicitly said, if it's Paul Kersey, we don't want him. And it turns out it is Paul Kersey. They don't want him. It's the media reports that, oh, this guy is the guy. This is our vigilante that we wanted. But then it's they they say no um, because the lieutenant has a conversation with Kersey. He's like, look, you either leave right now and this is over or I got to arrest you. And Paul Kersey's just, okay, I'll leave. And then after that, uh, the lieutenant goes to the media and says, this isn't the guy. This is just another victim from the, of the criminals. Uh, we still don't know who the vigilante is. He's, he's still out there. And then Paul Kersey does leave. And uh, where does he go? To tie it back in the remake, he goes to Chicago. Oh, he goes to Chicago. Great. He goes to Chicago. He's <laughs> at the airport with a client just introducing, hey, welcome to Chicago. And then, of course, as soon as Kersey gets there, he sees a woman getting assaulted uh, at the airport. And he helps her up and get her possessions. And as he's helping her up, the criminal's look back at him as they're running away and laugh at him. And he just kind of points at them with his hand, kind of making a gun shape with his fingers and just going, and movie ends. Pretty cool ending. I kind of like that. The remake has that same ending, but before it ends that way, (laughs) like we said, three. (laughs) Was that? I said home alone three. three. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's go back to the hospital. Cause like we said, um, the daughter comes out of the coma, and this is after the failed nightclub shooting. So Paul's able to escort his daughter out of the hospital in a wheelchair, and as they're entering the elevator, one man reaches in and says, hold that elevator for me, and wouldn't you know, it's the exact same guy that he was trying to kill the night before. And yep. this knock, this guy's name's Knox. He knows that who Paul Kersey is. And he's really testing the limits there. He's going, oh, what you in here for? Oh, yeah? You got assaults? Oh, geez, that's a shame. I got shot. Like, who says that? That looks like really yeah. fucking weird. Uh, and Bruce Willis knows, though. He, he knows. So he's like, in his mind, he's preparing. He's preparing for that night. So, uh, like you said, Home Loan 3. Maybe you want to take it here. You can maybe describe yeah, it better I'll, than me. I'll take it here. Um, just to set up the Home Alone um, <laughs> style thing. Uh, after the hospital scene, we do see Paul go back to the preposterously named gun store. Oh, Bethany. I forget what it was. I forgot the but name I, of the store, but I know that I'm pretty sure the clerk's name was Bethany because she was in the commercial too. <laughs> he gets himself a gun. He buys a gun legally and, you know, it's all part of sort of a plot twist that's coming up. But, uh, yeah, he gets prepared for God knows what's going to happen at his home. Dude, when you want to talk about movies ramping up, <laughs> this movie, he, he's at home, can tell that there's an intruder, stuffs his daughter basically in the, the, crawl, the space. Crawl, space, <laughs> crawl space between the stairs, tells him not to move. Dad, what's happening? Just go in the crawl space. <laughs> I know you just awoke from a coma in a traumatic event. Instead of, like, if I know they're coming, instead of, like, relocating you, I'm... <laughs> I know how I'm going to handle this. This is my house. I have to defend it. Home alone. Bam. 
Home alone. <laughs> so, one guy comes in with a gun. Wouldn't you know it? Look at that bed. There's someone clearly in it. <laughs> shoots it up, and it turns out it's a bunch of pillows. What? That's what? never been done in a movie before. I didn't see that coming, Reggie. I thought Bruce that, Willis that, was dead. And you know what else you didn't see coming? That guy realizing that someone's in the shower, and they clearly <laughs> aren't reacting to gunshots. <laughs> not making noise. And, but I'm going to go check out this steamy shower. <laughs> and, oh, shit. It's uh, the Grim Reaper, and he shoots him in the side of the head. Villain number two hears that gunshot, and he's like, let me go check on it. And there's his friend who's dead. And wouldn't you know it, Paul Kersey's hand comes from under the bed, <laughs> picks up the dead guy's gun, shoots that guy. That guy's dead. <laughs> Paul Kersey runs downstairs because he doesn't know where the other villains are, tells his daughter, don't move, stay in the crawl space. And uh, he checks his basement where he comes face to face with Knox. <laughs> You know, the daughter comes out, and she's now in danger, and Knox has Paul dead to rights, but luckily he installed some sort of compartment for an assault rifle, <laughs> which, uh, you know, since we are making political commentary, the fact that he was able to get that assault rifle <laughs> in this country, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he uh, Knox basically threatens his daughter's life by saying, have you ever heard someone burn alive, which is like, of course he hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no one has. You're crazy. And uh, yeah, Paul shoots him up, and um, his daughter lives to another traumatic event. And uh, apparently, everything's fine. Again, it's just like he just happened to be in the right spot where that assault rifle was. Another complete random happenstance that mm-hmm. helps our hero uh, win the day. He's always getting helped. I like the kind of crazy Home Alone style ending. Like the, the, when his hand came from under the bed, <laughs> this is nuts. From the human aspect, the daughter, I'm just sitting there like, how the hell is she going to do a semester at NYU after, like, <laughs> being the victim of two very violent crimes? They all just kind of, like, sit on the couch, and they're all, like, okay with it. Everybody's moving on, and I, I just found that to be very unrealistic. Yeah. Uh, afterwards, uh, she's, like, fine in NYU. Like, yeah, just easily adjusted. I'll fine, Dad. I'll be fine. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> Not she'd traumatized be, at all. She'd be famous. <laughs> you want to talk about going viral the like two assault chick like <laughs> the two assault chick <laughs> they came, yeah they came back for for another time and then you have that very interesting interaction with um with the um bruce willis and dean morris where <laughs> he's like so wait so you're telling me that wound on your hand that's Just, almost healed you, yeah. you got it. he's like yep and you telling me that that gunshot was from yesterday? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and basically just ends with, uh, you know, Dean knows what's going on. He's like, and you know, you had these guns that he just recently purchased, so he had it basically a cover and an alibi. And Dean asked him about the Glock, and he said, "I used to have a Glock, and now I don't." And it's a, it's kind of a play off of that original movie where he's saying, "I know you're the the vigilante." You're not going to do vigilante stuff no more, right? And he's like, I'm not. And I was like, all right, move, moving on. As we mentioned earlier, a, a bit of a uh, strange turn because I just don't see Dean's motivation for letting that go. Well, maybe he's made this calculation that maybe trying to like litigate famous surgeon whose daughter was attacked twice, maybe that's not going to go well in the media or something. I, I don't know what his motivation is, but he, he lets it go. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly why i guess he's just a good cop and like you said he knows bruce willis did it but 
you know, vengeance, justice has been served, so maybe he's letting him go because now the crimes are going to stop. The, the Grim Reaper will no longer be around. I don't know exactly why he lets him go, but you're not really going to end that kind of an action movie with, okay, you're under arrest, and now you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail. You know, you have to kind of have that kind of cop-out ending in oh, this yeah. type of action movie. So it wasn't like, what? He's letting him go? Yeah. It was definitely like, okay, he's letting him go. Why not? Sure. A bowling ball fell on that guy's head before. I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a serviceable ending. I, I think that you do get clearly a, a more action-oriented film in this remake. And uh, when they do their big sort of set-piece action sequences, they, they are impressive. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. They're not bad at all. So I was pretty impressed by that last scene, even though, like I said, the Home Alone thing is <laughs> a joke I have to make because it feels like it. They're going through the house and, like, all these traps are set. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's actually a pretty pretty decent, you know, sequence. I, I enjoyed it. No, um, it's good action. No, that's one of the things, like, that the original kind of lacked the action sequences were pretty poor in that original it's a guy just shooting a gun at another guy like point blank range and it's all like one shot and it's it's pretty lackluster in its action uh, but there's lots of like you know fancy quick cuts and some in- intense close-ups in the remake so the action's definitely good in the remake don't get me wrong there but it's uh when you think about it reggie it's when you start thinking <laughs> that yeah. seems pretty uh absurd this this is one of those films where you you want to think less. Um, the less you think about it, the more it works, and the more you think about it, the less it works. Which is true of both films to an extent. But I think that sometimes the remake tries to like I, I don't even know if it tries to. I think that sometimes just like the way things are happening to the character and how he's like finding things out um, makes you say, wait, how would that ever happen? You know. It was like the original, all right, yeah, there's this guy kind of running around the city looking for trouble, more or less, and he finds it. Yeah. Much easier. Uh, would you say, like, from the endings, I also find the original to, you know, from the story that's actually being told, it it makes a little bit more sense, and maybe it says something bigger about revenge. Um Probably not based on how many films they made after it. <laughs> but if you looked at it as a standalone movie, maybe it shows you that like the you know, nothing that he did actually made anything better. Yeah, that's kind of what I liked about the original that maybe he wanted to avenge his family, but he never explicitly says that. You never get a scene where he's like doing it for his family. Um maybe he's hoping he happens to catch the same guys that killed his uh wife and raped his daughter, but He's kind of just out there for whatever. And like we said, keeping it authentic, keeping it real. If you were just a normal dude with like your nine to five and you just just decide to go fight crime, the odds of you finding the actual people that did this random crime, which it very much was in both films, um, are so small that if you find it, it just it doesn't seem real at all. So I like that the original went that way, that he'd never found the people that uh attacked his family that they were almost they're so insignificant that their names in the credits are freak one freak two and spray can they don't even have names they're so random 
but like the remake it just again it goes for that that hollywood ending okay this man his family was wronged so he has to get vengeance and kill exactly everybody who wronged him and he does and he gets away with it happily ever after even his daughter's fine it's just I, um it's too neat of a package i liked how messy the original was the original feels like a story about a real guy yeah because that's um, what it is it's a regular guy whose life gets turned around after his family gets assaulted so what would a real guy do would a real guy be able to find exactly who did this and be able to exact revenge uh without getting arrested or would he just try and kind of fail but maybe get away with it at the same time you know get away for for a little bit the the limitations of reality he's caught dead the rights and yeah. they let it go because of what he's become symbolically in the city and they also understand his motivation so they let him go on that on that side because he in a way he did them a solid but they can't let him continue to act outside of justice this remake it's like I don't, I don't know, man. Like, you would need a SWAT team to do some of the stuff. That he, <laughs> I mean, he, like, literally takes down an entire, like, crime ring. And I guess that that makes... I mean, it doesn't make sense, but, like, I, it's fun. You know, it's a fun run. In, in times where it's trying to tie back into this film that's more or less about, like, an everyman, I don't think that this film does enough with the character explaining his ability to do this. Like, and there's very minor things that you need to do to make this more acceptable and the original film actually did that they were like man he's in the army i was like okay you tell me <laughs> like he, tell me the guys in the national guard like all right i got it like no they just said he, hey he's bruce willis oh okay <laughs> it's like i don't need much more explanation than that he was a like a medical surgeon in the uh the army that note before he became like a, a famous surgeon in like chicago like that note helps me and I, I accept way more bullshit if you give me that narrative. But like, if you don't, then I start asking questions that take you out of the fact that we're just, hey, this is just a fun little revenge flick. That's it. But when you try to bring that human element into it, but you don't do the, the groundwork to make it more human, it, it falls flat. And uh, it, I found the ending to be jarring because of that, because it felt like there was some reality in this film. And you just want me to accept that, like, this girl is going to be able to just live her life after these traumatic events. I, I find that hard to believe. Maybe we should get into the verdicts, because it sounds like we're kind of there. All right, so let's get into the verdicts then. Reggie, should this remake of Death Wish have been made? This remake should not have been made. If it was a standalone film without the Death Wish title, I'm more okay with it. Like, there's nothing wrong with action movies like this. We found success with revenge films and movies like Taken and things along those lines. But the motivation in films like that are a little bit more apparent. This movie takes a film that is a shoot 'em up that touched a nerve. It talked about a time in, in this country and a place that was dangerous. And there was a human element to the original film that sort of elevated beyond how ridiculous the subject matter is and how ridiculous the series became. This film is sort of just ridiculous the whole time, but then tries to like pull you back in with realism. And I think that by doing that, it, it hurt the film. So this remake, though probably a decent action movie to watch because you threw the Death Wish moniker on it, um, takes it down a peg for me because the other film is spectacular is not the right word, but it's a better film with the same subject matter. So the remake doesn't need to exist. Yeah. 
surprise, surprise, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, this remake should not exist. I don't even know where to start with my problems with the remake. I guess the original, as silly as it seemed, it, you know, going back to that word you kept saying before, like authentic, it definitely had that sense of realism. Like if a guy is wronged and he just decides to take matters into his own hands, it would probably unfold like this, especially if your family falls to a random act of violence. The odds of you actually finding those responsible are so low and just you going out there and hoping to find them, but you never actually find them. That that seems realistic, and it the whole original stays in that sort of area of reality. I mean, it might get a little contrived with the backdoor politics and everything, but yeah, this guy ultimately, who doesn't know really how to fight crime, fights crime, isn't able to get revenge, and it was timely, like we said. You know, New York was kind of, or was dangerous <laughs> in uh, the 70s and 80s. Just gave a real portrayal of what would happen to a uh, a man under these circumstances, but it was, you know, of its time. It it spoke to what was happening in the 70s. And the remake really missed the ball on, like, all that. It had to be about getting revenge, and he was able to get revenge. Again, like, he didn't have any training, but he still happened upon all these clues and was able to figure everything out and just avenge everybody. It was insane and like we said it's supposed to be an everyday man and then you cast bruce willis in it i think that was part of the problem we just go back to it being like of its time like it didn't cover on anything like i'd said before in the opening i thought they might cover on maybe black lives matter or possibly mass shootings which are both problems in this country right now and just like the original was timely i thought the remake might be timely but it wasn't and it like you said it's just pretty much a popcorn shooter it uh, really missed the mark, and there are better revenge films out there. You had mentioned Taken. I was thinking Taken also. Like This was done much better than Taken. Even John Wick did it better. And When there's already good revenge films out there, you really have to bring it, and just putting a Death Wish title on it doesn't you know, raise this, your, your film at all. I just really didn't like <laughs> what they did in the remake at all, especially... Because it just seemed so, like, you know, again, authentic and real in the original. And it was just totally lost to this over, overly produced Hollywood production in the remake. More or less, just to sum it all up, is that the original film takes an improbable story and puts it in a probable setting. This film takes an improbable story, keeps it in, <laughs> in an improbable setting, but then, like, tries to borrow from, like, real backdrops from time to time. And it just doesn't come across as, like we said, authentic. It doesn't come across as real. And we shouldn't expect that from a film, but because of the source material and some of the choices made in the film, it's like you're trying to make it real in some places and you're trying to make it fake in other places. Like, pick pick a theme. Right, you're keeping it really, like, tense and real. Then you're playing, like, Bruce Willis practicing to back in black. It's like, what what kind of film are you trying to be? Yeah, I guess it just really lacks the identity that the original had. I think that's I think it's the biggest problem because like when you look at something like John Wick, which is just completely ridiculous. <laughs> but like we know that that's the point. Like that's the entire point. And it's like a movie like that stays on point and stays in its themes and the universe that's building. This movie probably would do better to be in a fictional place or like an undescribed city. I think they make it Chicago because Chicago's where he ends up in the uh, original and then they go to new york and at the end so it's kind of like flip-flop 
which is a nice touch, except for the fact that, like, you made it modern-day Chicago, and he has to, like, deal with modern Chicago problems in a movie that's not about that. Yeah, so I guess we, we didn't like uh, the new Death Wish. Not at all. I hope they don't make four more like they did the original. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to do a retro versus remake for Death Wish 2. <laughs> I don't think the film did well enough to, like, bring, like, a Bruce Willis back on. Maybe they'll try to, like, reboot the reboot, but uh, you know how that, that goes. Oh, on that note, should we pick the next episode? Absolutely. Okay, so for the next episode, you want to do a comedy? Let's do uh, Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears, okay, yeah. It's Sir Mathau versus Billy Bob, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm definitely down for that, that movie. Yeah, let's watch Bad News Bears. All right, cool. Well, sports comedy action at us. Thanks for listening. I'm Reggie Parker at RP Comedy on Twitter and Instagram, rpcomedy.com. And I'm Dan Bulick. You can find me at Console Wars Guys on Twitter, Instagram, and we also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Remake. You know, follow us there. All right, well, thanks for listening. Let us know what you thought. Did you agree? Did you disagree? This has been another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. remake.